to be speaking to a mostly empty room here in our church building. Uh, definitely a bit of an adjust, adjustment, although actually in the 90s I was in a band and we toured quite a lot and quite often we find ourselves playing to an empty room. So just as in those days, I'm just showing up and doing what I do and bringing my best and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Uh, I miss being with our people very much. I know many of us are feeling that right now in this time where we have isolation uh, to be doing. This week I actually finished uh, 14 days straight of at-home isolation because of my travel to Scotland. Um, I actually felt kind of special being in that category. Uh, I got the flight from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, to Heathrow, to Los Angeles, and I was met by uh, the CDC in their hazmat suits, and we were taken off the plane 10 by 10 and asked all kinds of questions, and I felt like super, super special. It was a great welcome. Actually, kudos and uh, gratitude to those people for doing that job. But yet, within days of getting back, uh, apparently I was no longer special because everyone was somewhat in the same boat, and now I'm just a regular guy uh, with everyone else in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. But that's actually quite all right with me because I've, I've noticed there's actually a beautiful sense of solidarity with others in this moment as um, so much has changed in all of our lives. Uh, I've been walking around every day just to get a little bit of exercise, keeping a safe distance from people, but around my neighborhood for the past two weeks and I've noticed something remarkable. Uh, many of you who know me and my family definitely know this, that I'm a very friendly guy and wherever I am, I will say hello if I'm in the store, sometimes to my family's embarrassment, and strike up conversations with complete strangers. Uh, I do regularly wave uh, to people and, and typically people are sometimes a little weirded out by that. Maybe it's a Southern California thing, I don't know. Maybe it's the accent or maybe I just look a little bit uh, like I'm up to no good, I don't know. But I've found something very interesting during this time that more and more as I'm walking and I wave to people passing by in their car, uh, to UPS guys, trash collectors, the mailman, dog walkers, kids out on their front driveways doing chalk drawings, more and more people are responding with a smile and a wave. And it is a joy to me to see these things. So I am just a regular guy uh, in the midst of our community uh, trying to figure out what it means for us uh, at the moment. So I just wanna ask uh, right now, how are you doing? just in this moment to pause to reflect on that question. Perhaps even close your eyes and just be where you are right now. Reflect on what it is that you're feeling inside. Perhaps you're content, warm at home with family and somewhat oriented to this new reality, perhaps even somewhat enjoying the space and the time, just waiting for the all clear and for things to return to normal. Perhaps you're feeling anxious or afraid or sad or lonely. Perhaps you're simply overwhelmed with all the changes that have been happening so suddenly to your daily life, and with every new change, the implications seem to grow exponentially, threatening to overwhelm you. Perhaps you were already barely coping with life's challenges, and this is really the final straw. Whatever the state of your heart and mind and soul this morning, I want to affirm a few things. Firstly, that there is a God who made you, and who loves you and knows every anxious thought that you have. And he is one who never sleeps or slumbers, and he is here right now. Wherever you are, and in the midst of the changes and challenges of the season, he remains faithful and available to you. And this is a space and a place and a time to rest in God's love for you. Not for the world in a general sense, not for humanity, in general, but for you, 
just as you are right here, right now. You are seen, you are known, you are loved, and you are not alone. And I would encourage you, please reach out to others. And I'm so excited to share with you this morning what I I feel God has given me through my study of his word this week uh, in my makeshift office at home in the spare room. Uh, Before we continue on, let's just pause to pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. And may my words be your words. And may they offer comfort, encouragement, and hope for all of us in these times. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past four Sundays at New Song, we've been going through a series of messages through the seasons of Lent. We've entitled them The Journey, Walking with Jesus on the Road to Easter. Uh, It was a while ago we planned this season and we could have had no idea at the time when we decided to do this of the very real journey that we would find ourselves taking as a community, as a society, a nation, and indeed as a global community that is so challenging. And I think it's such a fitting biblical journey to be taken in tandem with our collective one. And we have a really amazing story to think about today. It's a moment from Jesus' life recorded by the gospel writer whose name was Luke, who we believe was a doctor of some kind. He took great care to research all the details of Jesus' life by talking to the people who were eyewitnesses of the events. And this is a record of what we call Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter when we remember the day when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Last week, my dear friend Melody shared a story about Lazarus who who had died and Jesus Jesus had come seemingly too late to save his friend, but then Lazarus has been raised from the tomb into life. And the people at this story this week have heard of this event and there's a buzz around Jesus, even more so. The people are filled with expectation about what he might do next. In fact, this event is mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention this event. The birth of Jesus only occurs in two of them. So obviously there's something very important here that we should seek to understand, to listen to the story that comes to us from the word of God, words of hope and life and encouragement. Uh, The version that we will look at today of this event is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. And this is a text of great contrasts. It contains great joy and great sorrow. Jesus has spent the past three years in the regions of Galilee and Samaria and Judea teaching and doing these wonderful miracles of healing and deliverance. And now it's almost time for the Passover feast, the time when people would flock to Jerusalem to commemorate and remember that amazing moment in their history when God set them free from slavery in Egypt and called them into a promised land. Uh, For our service today, we have a wonderful gift. Some friends of ours with whom New Song partners, as they serve their communities around the world, are going to read the text for us this morning. Hi, New Song. This is Colin Crawley, and uh, we are the Crawley's missionaries here to the UK. Greetings from Arizona. My name is Laura Worthington, and I work at Arizona State University with Bridges International. This is Tom and Karen Middleton coming to you from uh, Colorado. Hi, we're Doug and Crystal Livy with World Venture serving in France. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 to 44, 
Jesus's triumphal entry in Jerusalem. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead were found it, found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is God's word, and we wish you a blessed Palm Sunday. A bientôt. A bientôt. Thank you to these amazing people and all the friends that we are connected with throughout the world. So what should we make of this event? Why is Jesus going to a place, Jerusalem, that is so obviously a place of danger for him? Why are half of these verses dedicated to the procurement of a donkey? And why does Jesus respond to the praise of his followers with weeping and a terrible prediction of the siege and destruction of Jerusalem by their enemies? A lot of questions to answer here, and perhaps the most important one is what on earth does this have to do with us, with modern, civilized people in the 21st century? Let's enter into this story and seek to understand what it tells us about this man, Jesus. The first thing it tells us is that this account tells us clearly of Jesus' orientation towards the people his orientation towards the people. Uh, the Gospel of Luke takes the form really of a road trip. When was the last time you took one of those? You just got in your car and you took off on a journey. And I might add, wouldn't that be a wonderful way uh, to experience some open spaces and new people and encounter them after this current situation passes? Please spare me a seat. Save me a seat in your vehicle. Let's go. Uh, in seminary, I actually took a class called the Gospel of Luke and the American Road Movie. It was a super awesome class. I never would have imagined I would get a master's degree credit for watching Easy Rider and The Grapes of Wrath and Thelma and Louise and Rain Man. It was fantastic. I say to my family, hey guys, everyone needs to be quiet. I've got some schoolwork to do. And then click, put the TV on, you know, kick back in my easy chair and watch TV for school. 
But it was an amazing class, and the, the similarities between a road movie and this story that Luke tells are striking. It's an unfolding journey of experience and discovery that inevitably moves towards a point of conclusion. And on the way, it makes some really important points and assertions about what it means to be human. At this point in the journey that Luke records, Jesus has been on the road for almost three years, and it is clear that absolutely nothing will stop him from pursuing the mission that is burning in his heart. This mission is nothing less than the rescue of his people, the Jewish nation, and beyond that, the entire world, and beyond that, to the entire creation that has fallen into a state of broken beauty. So several times in this passage and the previous one, we read that Jesus did things like he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He approached these cities. He came near the place. He approached Jerusalem. Much earlier on in Luke's account, he uses the same kinds of language to describe Jesus' journey. In Luke chapter 9, he says, as the time came for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. One translation puts it this way. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is truly dedicated to this movement, to this journey. And this is clear even more so because of what he seems to understand, the likely fate that awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem. Right before the passage today, um, Luke shares this challenging statement that Jesus has just made to his followers. In Luke chapter 18, Luke writes, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But yet we are going to Jerusalem. Jesus' attitude is one of deliberate movement towards, not away from the people whom he loves, without distinction as to who they are or their attitude towards him. He is coming towards them. Remember this. Secondly, by his action and words here, Jesus is sending a clear message to his people, to all the people. Why all the stuff about getting a donkey for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem? It seems that thus far he has walked a long distance and generally has been on foot the entire three years. And now for the final stage of the journey, he's going to ride along the road into Jerusalem. Well, I bet a lot of us have been watching Netflix or some other streaming service during this time of, of being at home a lot. And I admittedly have watched quite a bit of television over the past two weeks myself. Uh, there's actually a show I've been planning to watch for quite a while now. The only problem is, uh, it's the next season that has recently come out that I want to watch. But it's been a long time since I watched the previous season. And I think uh, I'm going to have to re-watch the first season before I watch the second. And the reason is, without all the background material in my mind about who the characters are and what the storyline has been, I will probably miss the point and miss the full engagement with the story, with the meaning and the reality of the world that the producers of the show are trying to create. And in the very same way, the precision with which Jesus executes his coming into Jerusalem and the way Luke records it can only be meaningful to us if we understand what has gone before. 
In fact, much of the power and meaning of this story will be lost on us if we don't understand the previous seasons in the life of his people and their dealings with God. So the different elements that Jesus seems to go to great lengths, half of the verses in this passage are taken up with this procurement of the donkey. Uh, He seeks to have these things in place uh, before he enters the city. These elements absolutely resound with the stories and the scriptures and the events of his people's past. And in particular, a promise from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. It's the next to last word to the people of Israel prior to this gap in the middle, prior to the coming of Jesus. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet writes, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. So Jesus appears on the road, on this animal, and the picture comes into sharp focus, full of meaning for those who've been following him for years now, witnessing his ministry, his care and compassion for the poor, the marginalized, the miracles of healing, the power and authority and captivating yet convicting nature of his teaching. Oh man, he's the king and he is coming into the city to take up his throne. So the people respond to this image, seemingly lifted from the dry parchment pages of their own scriptures, scriptures they would have heard week after week in the synagogue. And so they take up their part in the continuing story in response to what they are now understanding. They spread their cloaks on the road like a first century carpet for royalty. Though Luke doesn't mention, other gospel writers mention that people also cut branches and waved them in celebration uh, in an echo of, of the same scripture from their past. And they lift their voices, Luke writes, in praise of the miraculous things that they have witnessed. But they also take up an echo of their own past by singing songs from the Psalms, the praise book, the song book of their people, and originally written to praise kings as they came into the very same city into which Jesus now comes. And in particular, uh, Psalm 118. I think it's kind of interesting. In my family, we are known by our children for every situation has a song. We will recall some old Beatles song or something which will apply. It's almost like that. They see this scene and it recalls to them this hymn of praise, a hymn to the king who is coming in celebration. Psalm 118, 25, 26 is quoted. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And compare that with Luke chapter 19, this passage we're looking at. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the people sing. And interestingly enough, Luke adds something else, a second part of the song, which is a direct echo of his own writing in chapter 2, the proclamation of the angels who announced to the shepherds that the baby had been born in Jerusalem. Compare these, Luke chapter 2. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the people now sing, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
It's as if Luke is pointing out his disciples that they're recognizing that this is the one whose coming was promised and whose birth caused such rejoicing and praise and hope and expectation of salvation to a weary and conquered people. So the disciples see the meaning and they contribute to that meaning by their participation in the procession. However, as is often the case in Luke's and other gospel writers' accounts, the affirmation of a certain group of people is typically always contrasted with another group who are deeply concerned about this man Jesus and the things that he has been doing. And he's encountered them before, but now he is approaching the center of their world, their territory, their place of power, and he is a growing threat to them. It's the Pharisees that are mentioned. Now they appear in the story. If you're not familiar with the Pharisees, they were a very uh, powerful group of people, really of men. And they were the fundamentalists of Jesus' day, strict in their adherence to the law and zealous for protecting the name and the honor of Israel's temple, worship, and obedience to the law. And at first, it seems they found Jesus intriguing. In fact, one of them came to Jesus at night. A few weeks ago, we talked about that man, Nicodemus. We see you may be a man from God because no one else could do the things you do. What is this about Jesus? Then they started to find him troublesome and now a threat to their power and position. So now they enter into the story. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. There's several reasons why they may have done this. They possibly would be thinking that, that any kind of uh, celebration of any kind of king might be a threat to Rome. And Rome typically would come down hard on situations like that with a, a swift and ruthless response. Uh, or maybe simply basic human envy, jealousy, ambition. Why are the people who we are supposed to be leading now following this peasant from Galilee? So they, they try and shut it down. But Jesus replies, what does he say? He says, no. And this response to, to their call to shut it down indicates that something foundational is happening here. He says to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In the midst of this particular moment in time of donkey riding and coat strewn road and dust and singing and movement and color and light and sound, there is this fragment of truth and honesty within this human gut response of praise that is springing out of the disciples and calling all of creation to recognize that this is the one who was promised. This is God who has come to his people. And in doing so, in an affirmation, take up that call to others to enter into this recognition of his true identity, their own identity uh, and their purpose along with him. The rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. Tell them to be quiet. If I tell them to be quiet, creation itself will cry out in recognition of who I am and what I come to do. It's kind of beautiful so far. All is going apparently well. Jesus has kind of maybe silenced his opponents. His disciples are celebrating. So what happens next in the story seems really out of place and jarring and disorienting. And Luke tells it like this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, so 
Jesus and his friends have been coming down the Mount of Olives. And the way that works, if you come down there, Jerusalem just suddenly appears before the viewer, just nestled amongst the hills there. And so he sees the city. And Luke writes, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day, this day, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Why this response from Jesus? Reminds me of the song, It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. Well, here, once again, we, we have to understand what happened in season one and two and three and all that happened prior to this time. There are echoes of a previous and previous dreadful times of suffering in this very same place that the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Isaiah spoke of and lamented over uh, the people, their stubbornness, that they would refuse to turn to God time and time again till trouble befell them and it would cause them to turn back, to abandon the hope that they had in the other nations around them and their own power and turn back again to the God who always holds out this invitation to walk with him in freedom and fruitfulness. And these words have actually also appeared earlier in Luke's gospel. Luke has also recorded another time earlier when Jesus spoke these similar words. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Luke your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But surely that's what the people are proclaiming now. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. That's what they're shouting. But Jesus still, he weeps over the city. He sees it, the true quality. He sees the powers that control the people of the city, and that they themselves are turning away from the God who calls them, who loves them, who is their hope for peace. And perhaps even the disciples neither recognize what they really need or what they, that what they need is really here or that what they need will come in a form that's completely different to what they're used to, what they expected. Jesus comes as a peaceful king who calls them to love their enemies. He comes knowing that his arrival will, will provoke the anger and disappointment of the people that his failure to be the kind of king that they want will lead them to turn on him. He comes offering full salvation to these people regardless. That if they would even now turn and receive him and begin to enact the call that God has given them time and time again, even now they might experience peace. But they will reject him. Yet nothing will stop him from pursuing the righteous path that God has set before him. And every human response will fall into place in the accomplishment of the great redemptive work of God on behalf of the world that he made, that he loves, 
and is calling into restoration and repair. And so he comes to all the people without distinction or preference or deference or favor or division or prejudice. But it seems that they have already chosen their path. And the earthly powers in which they put their trust will turn and betray them and defeat them dramatically since they have rejected the way of peace and the king of peace. It's like a parent watching a child make the same mistakes time and time again. And there's nothing more painful than a father or a mother's heart to watch their child shipwrecking their lives. And what can a parent do but stand at a distance, heartbreaking and arms open wide, hoping for the child's return? So Jesus laments. This is the biblical concept. Jesus, he weeps. We don't just say he cries. It's a gut-wrenching lament over the city. I was reading this week a commentary on, on this passage by Fred Craddock. Uh, it was really helpful. And he describes what lament means. Just listen to this. This is what Jesus is doing. A lament is a voice of love and profound caring a vision of what could have been and of grief over its loss, of tough hope painfully releasing the object of its hope, of personal responsibility and frustration, of sorrow and anger mixed, of accepted loss, but with the energy to go on. So Jesus comes and there's there's a sprinkling of celebration but there's the beginnings of that sense of rejection that's happening and he sees it before it takes full form. He knows what is coming, but he is not dissuaded from continuing on in the mission God has set him regardless of what is gonna happen, regardless. That is the heart of God. So how can we see ourselves in this story today? How can we see ourselves in this story? What can it mean for us right now What does it show us about the heart of God? What does it show us about ourselves? And what points might it call for us to join with Jesus in his mission in the world today? Well, the first thing is that this same Jesus who set his face resolutely towards the city with such purpose still does today. He came to seek and to save what was lost. He comes to seek and to save what is lost. The gospel writer John writes, he came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who welcome him, he gives the right to be the children of God. And neither the outward displays of worship yet maybe lacking in true understanding, nor the outright rejection of his enemies prevented him from continuing on, not even the threat or reality of death. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and he kept on going through arrest, through trial and torture, beating and mocking, crucifixion and death, through the resurrection, 
from death to life into the early church by the power of his spirit, demonstrated in advance through the church on through long ages filled with trouble. He continues, he comes, he arrives today. And today Jesus still arrives, enters into, alongside, with, beside He will not leave us in our unbelief or our faulty motivations or selfish living or our shame or our sense of failure. He enters in every single day. There's an opportunity to receive him every moment of every day. Today is a day of opportunity. He comes to give us life and to banish fear and death. How does he come to us? In what manner does he come to us? Well, he comes just like in the story, with intentionality, he sets his face towards us. And like in the story, he does not come with aggression to overwhelm us, setting aside our own choices, our own humanity, but he comes with humility. And the slightest turning of our hearts towards him in recognition and receptivity will open the door wide. What will bring us peace? Will we recognize it when he comes? Jesus still moves purposely towards us, towards the city. Every inhabitant known, loved, wept over. And in the midst of our commonplace lives, he comes to us with an offer of peace. The gospel writer Matthew records that Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So he is coming, he arrives, he persists, he pursues. Uh, He is available for us today. But even more importantly, The king comes and he asks us to join him. Much in the same way the disciples saw what was happening, they recognized who he was in some way, even though perhaps wrongly in some aspects, but they joined and took up the song that the king has come. And so he similarly calls those of us who recognize who he is uh, to go with him, to join with him, to approach the city with persistence, with intentionality and purpose to see the city, to seek to understand our community, our culture, those around us, to even to weep with him over the city, to lament, to see what should be compared to what is, and to let our hearts be broken. And even even more so in a situation now, we find ourselves in a place where much of what is happening uh, can come down to our basic human brokenness. But then beyond that, not just to approach the city or see the city with Jesus or weep over the city, but to join with him in sacrificially loving and serving the city, to take up our own cross, regardless of the obstacles, that he will tear them down. We go with him through and into and we follow him. We pray with him for the city And we hold out to others the hope of the same peace that we ourselves have encountered in him. We seek to be the means of his arrival into the lives of others. We have some church banners outside the church during the season. 
which I think speak volumes about the heart of New Song and hopefully the heart of the people who call New Song Church their home church and who believe in our mission to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to love people, to follow Jesus, to do good. There's two signs. The first says, our building may be closed, but our hearts are open. The second is loving and praying for our community. Our building may be closed, but our hearts are open. I love that image. Our hearts are open to receive the Jesus, the King of Peace who comes, but our hearts are also open to our community. The way Jesus' heart is open. And we love and we pray for our community. It's interesting, the church has truly left the building. We kind of say that sometimes, you know, after a service, we gather together, the church gathered and the church scattered and wherever we go, we take Jesus. Well, now in this season, whether we like it or not, the church has left the building. And so many things have changed for us all. The way that we do church may never be the same again. And actually, I hope that it won't be. We're called to be the church wherever we are. Perhaps right now, we've been given an incredible opportunity to practice these things. We've been set aside from our normal everyday life to practice these things, to seek, to invite God into our lives to a greater degree. And to love our families or whoever those, that small sphere right now with whom we are in contact, it's a place to practice these things. How do I bring Jesus and his life into the people who are around me in this time? And let it be practiced now for that time when we get our building back. But we've been changed. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's pray for the kind of hearts that God would have us to have in this season in response to his word. Father Lord, we simply ask that you would be who you are in the midst and reality of who we are. Help us not to run from the truth about ourselves. We recognize that we are, we are deeply in need of a word from you. Uh, we are in need of your transformation and your healing and your power and your courage. So Lord, we ask that you would give us that. Lord, may we see you as you enter in. May we receive you with gladness and joy without understanding the full picture, just as your disciples didn't understand everything about who you were going to be. May we be humble in our um, sense of how much we have understood everything. We would be humbly receiving moment by moment what it is that you have for us and that we would share that with others from the depths of our hearts, with thanksgiving for all that you are and all that you have done for us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. For some action to take this message into our lives, on the website in the sermon section where you would go to listen to the messages, there's a downloadable document that we think will be helpful to help us to think through this message. Some questions on there to help us to reflect on how Jesus might be seeking to enter in with you, with us during this time. How might he be doing that? How might we see him, engage with him, invite him, and, and to press into that place of presence with him? And secondly, questions about how he might be calling you to join with him, even just in the context of your own home. Take some time to work through these questions, and then you can watch your favorite shows again. And I invite you to please join us next week. Take the time to engage with uh, all that 
that God is putting on the hearts of leadership and staff and, and others at New Song Church, the devotionals through the week and then on Sunday mornings or whenever you can get to it, uh, tune in again and let's enter this Holy Week with expectation that even in these circumstances, God's going to do something beautiful in our lives which will affect our community. And let's close now with a, a word from Scripture as a blessing as we end this morning. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. God bless you.